Hello and welcome to this edition I'm here of with the John Oregon and Kathy Lauer. We're from Marvin Hughes in uh, West Salem. It's the uh, June 29th, 2020. Thank you both so much for joining us today. We appreciate this. Uh, first question, most important question is why wine? The Oregon wine story. This podcast will share these stories through oral um, history interviews in terms we've of conducted when throughout I started the industry. Appreciating wine. Please um, enjoy these stories. It was really the year we met. Um, I, I think my, my first my first bottle of wine was when I was in law school, and it was a um, uh, the ceramic uh, uh, Lancers, and uh, so that that's and then of course graduate to uh, to uh, Beringer White Zinfandel from there, and but we the year we met we took a trip up the California coast I, I from San Diego, and um, we had our first bottle of. I think what you would call a, a very good wine. Uh, it was a Newton unfiltered Chardonnay that we had at the Sardine factory in Monterey. Mm -hmm. And I think- our, And it was life changing. It was like, <laughs> it, actually it was. I mean, our, our, our eyebrows went up and, oh, this is what wine can be. Mm -hmm. And from there we, uh, we went up to Napa and we had, uh, we did the Inglenook winery tour um, and we were hooked at that point. Mm -hmm. Well, but after that, then we started to vacation, a lot of our vacations for the next what, 20 years, really, were up the coast, spent time in the central coast, spent time up in Napa and Sonoma, right, right. Um, tried the Temecula thing, which, you know. We still do. Kind of. <laughs> which we didn't do. Yes. <laughs> Thought about doing that, did not do that. Um, but from, from, you know, tasting and enjoying to thinking this might be a business was quite a bit of different. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. So tell me about later. that. Tell me about that, that leap yeah. from enjoying wine to actually wanting to do wine. I think it started with uh, the perceived lifestyle that uh, people in the industry live. Um, uh, <laughs> everyone, one of the things that always struck us uh, when we would uh, go on our wine tours is that everyone was happy. At least they, they seemed like they were happy. They really enjoyed what they were doing. Um, and we're both attorneys, and um, you don't get those situations as often in a legal practice. At least, I think in our practices, we, you, you certainly don't. Yeah. And so, uh, <laughs> it's not as fun. <laughs> uh, yeah. And so, um, uh, I actually quit practicing law in 2000 uh, and took over raising our kids full time. So, for the next uh, eight years, that was my full time job. Uh, I did a lot of volunteer work in the community and uh, for the kids' school, a soccer club, um, and so, but uh, at, at some point, and this is right, right around 2007, 2008, our kids grew up and decided to go away, from, you know, go away to college and they didn't need dad as the nanny anymore, and so I needed to get a job. <laughs> and uh, in the meantime, we, we had actually planted a, a, a small vineyard in our backyard in San Diego. Um, I bought wine equipment uh, from OBS here in McMinnville, although I didn't know the connection at the time. Um, and we, uh, uh, made, we made wine uh, from the grapes in our backyard. It was actually drinkable, uh, so we were excited about that. And, That's uh, a little charitable, but it was drinkable. <laughs> And so we... Uh, but you decided you didn't hate it. I decided I didn't hate it, yep. And I mean, I spent a lot of time in that vineyard uh, uh, you know, working. I, I did the trellising, the, the, the irrigation, everything um, uh, I did on my own. And 
So we decided in 2008, um, if we were ever going to try this, that was probably the time to do it. Um, and so we started, well I started looking uh, at, spending a lot of time online looking at opportunities. Um, came to realize, well we first looked right around San Diego, because uh, mm -hmm. at that point we were not thinking of, of leaving our house in San Diego. Mm -hmm. And so we looked at Temecula, uh, and there were a couple good opportunities in Temecula, um, and because the wine quality was definitely on the, on the upward rise in, in Temecula. Um, we went up, drove up to uh, Julian up in the mountains, and there were a couple wineries up there. Um, everything was kind of an hour from our house, so it would have been a long commute, mm -hmm. um, uh, but those, that's something you get used to when you live in Southern California. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so, uh, um, and then I started looking up here, and um, I, had, I had done a financing project uh, in Medford back in the mid-80s, and um, the, the attorneys and the banks were all in Portland, so we'd go back and forth quite a bit between the two. And I just kind of fell in love with the state. It was green, and that's something that you just don't see in Southern California, um, uh, except in December, January, and February. Um, but up here, it was, you know, this is summer, and it was beautiful, and so, I mentioned it to Kathy, I said, you know, we, we should take a look up in Oregon, because we both love Pinot. Um, we remember just St. Innocent Wine Club at the yeah, time, so yeah. um, in the area. And so uh, I started spending some time uh, looking here, and we, I found this little place next door, and I watched it for about two years online. And 2008 happened, and the price went down by a third. And I told Kathy, come on, we, at least, we gotta go up and at least look at the place. Um, and Kathy was uh, basically, I drug her up here kicking and screaming because- Yeah, I just, I'd never been to Oregon and it's cold and it rains and who wants to go to a place like that, right? So, but anyway, I said I'd go, so we went. And so we came up here in August of 09 uh, and it rained. Mm -hmm. uh, it was a misty rain, but it rained. Uh, we walked the property, it was, the place was a mess. And I mean, part of us was when we pulled in, let's just, let's just go home. Mm -hmm. and it really is, mm -hmm. it's overgrown, things are falling apart. And then we said, we, you know, we've come all the way, let's at least meet the owner and maybe try some wine. And, and we did, we sat, sat with him. Um, turns out that, that the winery is, was in the walkout basement of his house, which is next door to the, this property. Um, so we went down to his basement and sat in some chairs and drank some wine and we were blown away by the quality of the wine. Um, and our thinking was, wow, if he can do that type of wine with the, the, the really kind of decrepit condition of his, of his facility and, and his equipment, um, there's something magical about this hill. And so we took the plunge, made an offer, and from December 19th, um, 2009 to today, we've been making wine right here. So before we get back into Oregon, I want to back up just for a second. Uh, the, the backyard vineyard in San Diego is a pretty, pretty unique idea. Not, not a lot of grapes <laughs> being grown in San Diego. Not uh, many. <laughs> and uh, so tell me about that, that process. You talk about doing all the work yourself. Tell me about mm -hmm. learning grape growing mm -hmm. and about winemaking and, and sort of what that 
at what point you thought you could do that for a living? Mm -hmm. um, well, I took some classes at, at uh, UC Davis uh, online. Uh, actually, they weren't, we didn't have online then. Uh, they were, uh, they sent uh, uh, tapes, uh, videotapes, VHS tapes. VHS tapes. <laughs> yes. And, uh, and so, I mean, it was, but it was for class, it was, it was mm -hmm. for a grade. Uh, and it, it turned out to be the best grade I ever got in college. Um, so that right there told me something that, you know, maybe I should be doing this. Um, but, so I, t I took that class, I called uh, OBS uh, in, in Mac, and they were really helpful. I said, listen, I'm just starting out, this is what we've got, we've got about 300 vines, I want to make some wine, tell me, you guys tell me what do I need. And they actually put the list together for me, and popped it on a truck, and trucked it down, and um, so they were really, really helpful. Um, it was really, I, I, I really, I walked in when I, when we moved up here and said, hey, you don't know me, but <laughs> <laughs> you guys helped to get us started in this. Um, so we planted um, uh, grapes that were um, really made for that climate. So we're looking at, at northern Italian, southern Rome, um, um, and those were the grapes that, that grew really well there. So um, it, that by itself just said, you know, I'm, I really enjoy this. Mm -hmm. Let's uh, let's think about doing this. Mm -hmm. So, Kathy, backing up yeah. now to to the move up here. Yeah. Uh, you're you have been dragged up here. It's it's raining in August, which yes. is always a dangerous <laughs> sign. Uh, but but by a few months later, you've taken the plunge. So, tell me about what it was that made you want to be up here. Well, first, you should probably know I'm not totally up here yet. Although right now, with the current situation, I've been here since March, since we can't go back to California. Sure. Um, but I still work in San Diego. I'm, I'm, I'm still a practicing attorney. Uh, my firm is in San Diego, and so I've been commuting for the past 10 years. Um, but what made me want to do this, um, I think to John's point, it was the wine. Mm. Um, knowing the quality of what we thought we could do on this property. And it was time for a new adventure, so we um, we came and we did it, and you know bought bought the place. And for the first probably three four years, I spent more time in San Diego than here, and it's just gradually changed mm -hmm. over time. This actually would be the first year where you've spent more, more time, time here, here yeah. than in San Diego. Yep. So you've, you've got the property now and, it, and, it, and you obviously need some work. Tell me about the first steps and, and sort of your vision for what you wanted this to be. Well, first up was finding a winemaker. Um, I was, uh, even though I had made wine, I, I knew enough about knowing, not, uh, knowing what I didn't know. <laughs> and, and so um, it actually got started with the previous owner who gave me a, a, a resume and said, hi, I had, I had posted um, uh, on the various colleges around town. Uh, and I think this was, she actually had, had, had uh, sent it to Chemeketa. Um But uh, he, he said, you might just, this is somebody you might want to talk to. Now this is after he and the broker both said, uh, you could live in San Diego and, and run it from, from there. Yeah. You only, you only need couple to be weeks here. A month. He said, no, couple, well, he said no, three weeks a year. year. Yeah. Mm -hmm. um, so <laughs> you really need to be here. And I'm thinking, wow. That doesn't sound like much. Um, <laughs> yeah. yeah. And so, um, so we said. Um, uh, he said, "Here, this is a resume you may just want to respond to." And it turns out it was Rachel Rose's resume. She was our winemaker at the time. She was an assistant at Pinner Ash. Um, and so um, I, I contacted Rachel, and I think we had two lunches. 
Um, and that's basically all it took for us to realize there was a real uh, synergy there. Um, uh, we like the same types of wines, we like the same types of styles. Um, I always describe it as, so we took a flyer on her and she took a flyer on us. Mm -hmm. And mm -hmm. 10 years later, we're still going strong. Mm -hmm. It was the smartest thing that mm -hmm. we did with respect to this yep. operation. So tell me about, since we're talking about Rachel, uh, what, what is the style you're going for? The, the, what is it that you, the synergy, mm -hmm. what is it you wanted to make here and what was it that you thought she brought to the table? Well, we wanted to make wines that were representative of the place. Um, we had talked about, you know, different philosophies in what you want to produce and you've got uh, a philosophy that's more Californian than it is Oregon that you want the wine to taste pretty much the same year in, year out. I always, the example I always use is, is Behringer Napa Valley. It, if I see Behringer Napa Valley, it's, it's, uh, I'm glad I turned the ringer off. Um, it's uh, a very good wine. Uh, if I see it on a wine list and I don't know any other wines, I say, well, I know what that tastes like and it's, it's good. Um, I think it's made in a style though that it's, it, it's you know what it's going to taste like, and they, they, they just, whether deliberately or not, I think it probably is deliberate, it, it's, it's just that type of, of that's that type of, of wine mm -hmm. every year. Mm -hmm. And we wanted something where here, if you have a, a, a 2005, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, they're all going to represent what was going on that year um, at the winery and in, um, in the climate and uh, in the environment, everything else. And so, uh, so that was number one. We want, we, want, we want our wines to represent place and time. And that, that was really the, the biggest thing, uh, you know, because at that point, the wines themselves are gonna tell a story. Um, they're gonna tell a story about what was going on that year, and, um, and that's what we're looking for. Excellent. So once you found your winemaker, what's the next step to getting this sort of where you want it to be? Uh, spending lots of money. <laughs> That's why I'm still working. <laughs> Ten years later. <laughs> Gotta feed the habit. Gotta feed the habit. <laughs> yeah. Um, well, we kept the winery in the basement until two years ago. Two years ago, yeah. So we, we actually, we redid the house. So it was much smaller and sort of, it was a homemade house before. Mm -hmm. So we, we expanded the house, we expanded the basement, put in a, an area that we uh, made into a tasting room. It was slightly nicer than the tasting room that was there before, although it was still the basement. But, <laughs> but we did that, we put a crush pad in where we could put some tasting space out on the crush pad. Um, and planted more grapes initially. Yeah, well, there were only four acres of grapes here when we bought the property. And so we planted another two acres in 2010. We planted another 10 acres in 2012. And then we just uh, had a fall planting this past year. And we planted about another seven to eight. Well, and then we bought this property. Oh, we bought this. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so originally we had the 20 acres next door. Okay. Um, and we were planning on putting a tasting room wine production facility on that property mm -hmm. uh, initially and, and had some wonderful plans drawn and um, were ready to go and then realized uh, we could not do 
what we wanted to do with respect to vineyard or the design of the, the building uh, within our budget. And um, when we realized that, we approached our neighbors who lived here and um, had talked to them a little bit in years before about whether they might want to sell. Um, they're the family that owns Honeywood wines. Mm -hmm. um, and they didn't initially, and then uh, the timing just worked out. And so once we decided we didn't want to do that project there, we thought there's this great space here. This actually used to be the house. Right here it ends, and we added this on and, and redid that, turned that into the tasting room. Um, but that all happened within about 10 days after we <laughs> decided. We impulse bought the winery, and then we impulse bought this, this uh, property next door, um, which turned out to be just a great decision. Mm -hmm. um, and so that's the property we have now, the 40 acres. And then we built the wine building. Uh, finished it about two years ago? August of, of 2018. And we finished this building last... We got, we got on September 9th, yeah, September we got our occupancy year. permit last year. Uh, our permanent occupancy permit. Yep. We had temporary before then. So that's... A lot. A lot. That's a lot. Yeah, I mean, from, from the wine, from the basement to, <laughs> to, to, to this is a lot. I guess the penthouse, yeah. 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 I, mean, I mean, we've changed a little bit about where we wanted to, where we wanted to be, where we wanted to go. Mm -hmm. uh, initially, we thought, well, we've got... Uh, uh, the 20 acres and with what we can plant, we can have a, a nice house, a small winery, do about 2,500, 3,000 cases a year. Uh, and then I realized that it just it didn't work financially to, to do it. We needed to get a little bit bigger. Um, and so um, that's, what we've been, that's what we've been doing. We've been in growth mode ever since we've been here. Um, hoping to flatten out a little bit. <laughs> Because you're always you're, one of the things we've learned is when you're growing, you're you're always spending money today that you won't recoup for up to five, six, seven mm -hmm. years. Mm -hmm. So you have to be very patient with your investments. So it's an interesting space here. Obviously, mm -hmm. a, a kind of a unique vineyard layout. Tell me about learning the vineyard here and about deciding. You obviously, you liked Pinot Noir. Mm -hmm. Obviously, Pinot Noir makes a lot of sense here. Tell me about yeah. deciding what you wanted to do with the vineyard space you had. Mm -hmm. Well, first of all, we wanted to maximize it. Uh, we wanted to take a very burgundy approach where you, um, you plant as much as you can. Uh, you don't leave large meadows. Uh, we have left, though, um, a significant percentage of natural habitat, um, and that's for um, our live certification. So, um, so you, mean, you can look around and take, you know, there are still a lot of Douglas firs and white mm -hmm. oaks standing mm -hmm. and uh, a lot of wild blackberry and so there's there's still a lot of native uh, mm -hmm. vegetation uh, on the property um we so when we started we had we had four acres of of basically 95 percent pinot noir and a little bit of chardonnay and a little bit of tempranillo and so uh, when we planted, we decided let's, we decided to branch out a little bit. The first thing we planted actually was uh, Pinot Blanc. Um, Rachel and I sat down, talked about it. We had a two-acre spot. We, we knew we were going to do part of it in Chardonnay, um, and we thought let's do another white. And so, you know, the first thing that comes to mind: well, everyone's doing Pinot Gris in Oregon, so maybe that's something we should do too. We, then we decided, you know, we don't want to do it because everybody else is doing it. <laughs> so. Um, so we did uh, uh, Pinot Blanc, mm -hmm. um, partly because 
we just like Pinot Blanc. Mm -hmm. um, and so it's uh, one of the things that I had been told years ago, um, and it always stuck with me, uh, we were at a, a winery down in Dry Creek Valley in California, uh, Meeker, and I was telling the, um, the winemaker there, you know, of our plans to uh, uh, plant grapes and make wine in San Diego, in Southern California, and he looked at me and said, you need to move up north and do it right. <laughs> and, he, and he said, you've, and, and you've, got to, you've got to grow what you love to drink. Because mm -hmm. if, if there is a truism in this, in this industry, it, is, uh, it takes a lot of passion. And you can't be passionate about something that you don't want to imbibe yourself. Mm -hmm. I mean, just, mm -hmm. you, you need to enjoy what you're, what you're producing. And we do. Well, so we did Pinot Blanc. And then, since then, uh, other grapes. Dolcetto, mm -hmm. Riesling, uh, different clones of Pinot. Mm -hmm. Uh, we, in fact, in the fall planting, we did the suitcase clones. Nice. Um, about a half acre suitcase clones. So, one of the things about Rachel, she's a whiz at blending, and the fact that that we're giving her different clones to to play with, I'm really excited about some things that she might come up with. So obviously they're, you're affected here by, by the Van Dusen recorder. You have a great, great amount of airflow here. Tell me about, describe the terroir of this space and how you, what it makes it unique and what makes it special to you. Mm -hmm. uh, probably, the, well, the Van Dusen recorder is probably the primary uh, uh, influence. We are, uh, if you stand out on our deck, you can see the entire quarter, south to north, north to south. I mean, you can see the whole thing. We are, at this location, we are the bullseye. We are the center of the bullseye of the target of, of those winds. It, this is probably the windiest site, um, windiest vineyard in this ADA. Um, so that's, and when people come to the tasting room, we talk about the winds, and I always say the wind is, the, a good analogy is um, from, July to September, stand in front of the mirror every morning and just slap your face for about three, four hours. And I said, by the end of the summer, your skin's gonna be tough, it's gonna be thick. And that's exactly what winds are doing to the grapes, and to the grape skins. They're thickening them, they're toughening them. Uh, and because you get so much of your um, uh, tannins and acids mm -hmm. and, and, and color from the skins, uh, it really does create a, a, a unique um, product that's mm -hmm. unique to this specific site. Um, lots of, there are about four different soil types here, various volcanic soils, which are typical of, of, of the region. Uh, the one interesting twist we have is just the last three rows on the west side of the vineyard, um, there are seashells. We have, we, we've got some broken up limestone, um, and so you can kind of see where that, that may be a Missoula flood effect, I'm not sure it's, a, but it's really interesting because it de definitely soil change uh, right there, but it's just those last three rows. That's awesome. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Uh, the name Bryn Mawr, tell me about that. Was, was that a, was that a uh, choice on your part or is that nope. a, a <laughs> no. inherited name? Okay. Should I go get the bottle? <laughs> yeah, interesting. Uh, the previous owner is Welsh. 
and um, he had Welsh sheep here. He had a Welsh sheepdog. I mean, everything about him was Welsh. And uh, so Bryn Mawr is Welsh. It means uh, high or big hill. And um, it's not related at all to the school or the town of Pennsylvania, which seems to be the first question that people ask. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. But did anybody here go to, go to Bryn Mawr? Or they'll either say, are you Brian? Uh, <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> and so, um, uh, so we just, you know, we liked it a little it, bit. Well, we, we liked we, it enough. We liked it enough. We also thought, well, number one, everyone who comes here goes, Bryn Mawr, Bryn Mawr. I know I've heard that name somewhere. Well, they, they not, they didn't, they'd never heard of the winery. They'd heard mm -hmm. of the school or the college right. or something. So you can you know, kind of taking advantage of some instant name recognition yes. there. Well, plus there was a little bit of a following already. Yeah, um, which is true. Yep. Yeah. Uh, David, the previous owner, had gotten a couple good scores. And the Tempranillo in particular had a little bit of a, almost like a cult-like mm -hmm. following. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, so we decided to keep the name rather than to try to change it. Mm -hmm. I mean, we looked, at, we looked at some other names. We looked at Parallel 45, which I thought would be really cool since we're right on, I mean, we're just two miles north of the, mm -hmm. of the 45th Parallel. Mm -hmm. Unfortunately, there's a, a winery in, in uh, France that already has that name. We thought about Lauer Family Vineyards, but Lauer is, is not a good word in in wine. It's a, I think it, my dad once told me that Lauer means, like there's a variation of it that means uh, sour wine or you know, bad wine or something like that. In okay. German, so we decided let's, we're not going to do that. Let's not go there. Um, <laughs> I was thinking we should call it uh, uh, John and Kathy's Excellent Adventure, but mm -hmm. uh, there wasn't really room on the label. Yeah. so. You make a small font. Yeah, yeah right. Bryn Mawr just worked out okay. Bryn Mawr just worked. We well, and, and, and Rachel's husband is our graphic designer, so he designed our labels, he designed the logo, and you know all the stuff that we've done with it since then. So he really made it work for us. So yeah. we've been yeah. we've been very happy with it. And on, on that note, obviously, I met your son on the way in here. It's mm -hmm. a, a pretty a family-run business here. Yep. Uh, was that always the intent? Was that always yeah. something you looked for? Okay. Yes. Yeah. Uh, everybody has worked here at one point. Um, the first, I think, was Jeff, our oldest son. Uh, he worked here. His wife worked here. Um, yeah, Jeff and Nina were here for. They were here for a couple years, years on and off. Yeah. Yep. Um, they're back in in New York now, or New Jersey. Um, our daughter, when she was at Willamette, uh, she spent a summer. And I, she just spent a couple summers, I think, working in the tasting room. Mm -hmm. uh, and then Dave, our youngest, uh, he graduated from college four years ago and has been working here ever since. <laughs> Um, so everyone has had their hand in it and hopefully um, we can convince a couple of them to come back to the West Coast yeah. and uh, rejoin the effort. Yep. But that's the idea, that, that's always been the idea. Yep, so they've all worked here, they've all got wine named after them. We have yeah, Jeffrey's, Jeffrey's block. block, Krista's Block, and David's Block. Yep. Now we're into naming grandkids blocks, which is the big challenge because they're all worried that we may not have enough blocks for all of the grandkids they're going to give us, but we'll see. And our response, of course, is we'll start showing us some grandkids and you know, maybe we, then we can have that discussion. Um, but we did have, on one of the blocks that we planted just below the house, it's a west-facing block of Chardonnay and Riesling, and we had bird, uh, bud burst in that block on the day that our granddaughter was born. And so for that year, we did an Addie's Block Chardonnay. Just which, a limited for that year. Yeah, that's awesome. Been cool. Yeah, that's which, awesome. I mean, what she great, thinks what it's pretty story. cool. She's four now, so she thinks it's really cool. She's got some <laughs> wine named after her. Um, and uh, just, you know, the, the, um, the innovation series, which Rachel can tell you more about her more, you know, 
interesting, you know, innovative wines. Um, the labels there, her, her kids did the labels for them our first two years when they were like one and two. She's got very artistic children. <laughs> um, so we've got Rachel's kids on those labels. We're doing Addie and Robbie, our grandchildren, are doing the labels, labels for this fall's innovation series. David did the labels for last fall's from his photography. So it's, uh, it's very much a family, family operation and, yeah. uh, and deliberately so. Mm -hmm. Um, it, you know, to some extent, not having investors means we can't do things maybe as quickly as we want to, and there's a little more financial risk. But we just decided if there's going to be financial risk, we want it to be ours and not, you know, friends or family or anybody else that we're sort of beholden to. And mm -hmm. so it, it's just ours. Mm -hmm. So, so I, I, I kind of know the answer to this because they've mm -hmm. all done it. But the family's taken to this work. They've they've enjoyed mm -hmm. the vineyard life and the winery life. Yeah, um, I would say when we first decided to do this. David was 17 and he had a year left of high school, so we were still in San Diego. He was, he was not happy. <laughs> he was finally the last kid at home after the other two were gone and was ready to have all of our attention until we bought this thing. <laughs> so, he basically got a new baby is what you're saying. Exactly, yeah. Right, yeah. Right. And he was not initially thrilled, but um, but now everybody has very much, very much embraced it. And, and David, more than anyone at this point, you know, this has been his his job, he, he runs the tasting room and has been involved in all different aspects of the operation. He's gonna do harvest this fall and uh, he lives in the house in the front of the property. And, uh, uh, but yes, all three of them have been, have been extremely involved at different points and hopefully will in the future. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yep. So obviously one of the things Oregon Wine's known for is, is sort of the, the welcoming, collaborative, collegiality mm -hmm. aspect of it. So tell me about your kind of entry into Oregon Wine and, and the response from, from, from the community to, to, to that. It was fantastic. Um, and I, to this day, I will tell people who visit, you know, we'll talk about our neighbors and, you know, who should we go see next? And, and somehow I will always get in to the conversation a point that when when we first came here we were really welcomed um, people from Bethel Heights would come up and from Bjornsson and from uh, uh, St. Innocent and Kristen um, and all I mean all of our neighbors they would they would come by you know and introduce themselves they would talk about our wines they would talk about their observations from the way it was being run and had been run mm -hmm. um, we they you know, if we needed a piece of machinery, someone would step up and, and, and offer it. Um, and I like to think that we're doing the same thing now, now that we've been here for 10 years. Um, uh, if, if I know that we, we've let people use some of our pieces of equipment um, over the past years. So it was, I, and I always tell people, I don't, you never get a sense of, you don't get a sense of competition here, you get, you get a sense of collaboration. I mean. We're all, sure, we're all competitors in the sense that we're all trying to sell our products, mm -hmm. but we're not doing it by climbing over each other either. Mm -hmm. um, because I, I think there is a rec a, an honest recognition um, in, this, in this area that when something good happens to one of us, it reflects well on all of us. Um. Well, I, and I think in 2017, with the Wine and Spirits, um, 100 top wineries, we, we and three of our neighbors, 
were all selected in the, in the top 100 in the world by Wine Inspirers in 2017. Amazing. And they actually set it. We, so we went to this um, celebration in San Francisco, and they set us up on a table together. We had a special area, and it was us and Christum and Eveningland and Walter Scott. And that was the table. And it was super cool because it was literally our loop. Mm -hmm. And out of those 100 top wineries, it was the four of us. And it was just, it was really incredible and amazing. But that's just sort of how this, this you know, it's a special place mm -hmm. um, where we are. And I just, I view that as the culmination of what John just talked about, that everybody's, you know, pulling together and, and so collaborative. Um, and so just really community and mm -hmm. co-op, you know, community-like. Um, and well, and within what five years? When were you president of the ABA? Pretty soon after we got here, four, four or five years yeah. in. Yeah. yeah. So I did that for a few years. So it's a difficult challenge being involved in, so heavily in your own place and also involved. So tell, tell me about that, about working with the ABA and mm -hmm. and sort of what that would be the old Amity Hills ABA at that point. Mm -hmm. Right. Uh, tell me about what your role was there and and what you what the AVA was trying to accomplish at that point? Um, well, my, I was on the board. Um, I mean, we're all members, and you put your application fee in. You can mm -hmm. actually join, too. I mean, <laughs> we'll take anyone. <laughs> uh, but uh, so we meet on a monthly basis. Um, and um, I took a, and then I was, I was on the board uh, and then became the president um, about five years ago. Mm -hmm. uh, and it's just a one year, one year term. Mm -hmm. um, I spent time, I, I helped work on some of the, the bylaws and some of the other corporate things that <laughs> set me back in my recovery period as a recovery attorney. <laughs> It wasn't very um, sexy work, but <laughs> <laughs> it's unfortunately the kind of work I used to do. Professionally, yeah. So. That's why you um, make wine now. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, but um, my, my when I was when I was on the board, and, and I don't think this has changed a whole lot, um, is addressing some of the primary issues of, of promoting our involved in promoting our our ABA. Primary being, how do you convince people from the Portland area to drive past Dundee and Yamhill and Carlton and Shilhalem and get down to mm -hmm. Yola Amity Hills. Mm -hmm. it's, it's a, and it's still a big issue. Mm -hmm. You know, that's first question I asked, I think, uh, eight, nine years ago when I first went, when I went to my first meeting is, how do we get all these people down here? I mean, there are a lot of people in the Portland metro area. Um, I mean, the, the example that, that we, came here with is Temecula. Uh, Temecula makes uh, wonderfully mediocre, barely drinkable wine. I shouldn't say that. Um, they're getting better. <laughs> they're getting better. Um, but, I mean, it's not the same quality as, as you find in, California, in Central and Northern California or here. Um, but yet, they are, their taste rooms are lined up with people shoulder to shoulder. They don't, they, they don't they don't market their, their wines through distribution. They sell everything they make in their tasting rooms. Um, and it's because you, within an hour of Temecula, you have nine million people. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And so you know, that, that's the key. And we don't have that. We have Salem. Salem's been you know, a wonderful supporter of, of this ABA. But Salem is, is very small compared to that. Mm -hmm. um, and mm -hmm. so we look, to, we look to Portland to really 
be our, our source of, of new customers and, and wine club members, things like that. So that's, a, that's, that's always an issue. And I, I still I, I don't think we've found an answer yet um, to that issue. Um, I think another bridge over the river would help, but <laughs> yes, <laughs> that, that delves into yes. that delves into whole whole another set of. Uh, that's, that's a different interview for a yes, different day. Exactly. Oh, really? <laughs> <laughs> yep. Yeah. Um, so, so I think that's you know it's just one of the things that you know we're, right now we're talking about um, we're putting um, uh, powdery mildew rods detectors in in vineyards mm -hmm. and a, a number of us are participating in that so we can actually see the number of spores uh, that exist in various vineyards and you can tell you can tell uh, the people who spray versus the people who don't. Um, you can look at Jamaica's uh, experimental vineyard uh, where they don't do anything and boom, they've got hundreds of spores. Whereas we, last report, we had zero. Um, so, you know, we're working collaboratively on that. Mm -hmm. um, so it's, uh, I mean, I think those are the, the kind of the primary is, is, you know, what, what can we do to help each other mm -hmm. and how do we, how do we attack this issue of getting people to come down here from Portland? Mm -hmm. So on that note, uh, I, I, for a lot of people, selling wine is obviously the, the most difficult and challenging part of the whole process here. So you mentioned earlier the, uh, the so what, some, one thing that attracted to you was the perceived lifestyle of, of living in wine. So I'm sure that was part of something maybe you weren't considering necessarily, the difficulty of selling it. Yeah. Tell me about selling wine. Tell me about how you have gone about selling and, and about the strategies you've, you've had that have worked and, and maybe those that haven't. I really thought when we, it, it, this has been the biggest eye opener. Uh, for, for me and for, for both of us. Uh, and I always felt like if you made a great product, people would just be lined up at your doors and it would be, the problem mm -hmm. would be, how do we, do we limit it to two bottles per person? Uh, Immediately we would be Rocchioli and you can only order it every two years and you have to be on the list. Yeah, no, not, not quite so much. Uh, yeah, it doesn't work that way. Yeah. Um, it's, it, that took a few years to really sink in. Uh, you've got to really, it's, it's hard work to sell mm -hmm. wine and it's, uh, and you obviously have to adapt to changes in the environment and not necessarily the uh, natural environment, but, mm -hmm. but the business environment, mm -hmm. uh, the consumer environment. Mm -hmm. I mean, we're, we're in, uh, we're in a, uh, a time now where we don't have any guidepost. Uh, we're having to feel our way along right now. Mm -hmm. And mm -hmm. so. Whatever we learn, and, and it's frustrating because with, with this new building, new facilities, we we had really started it. You could tell we had, we had really started to build some momentum, mm -hmm. um, and it, you just everything stopped. Every other you know, mm -hmm. just a, a collective worldwide pause, mm -hmm. and so we are learning to deal with that. Um, you know, by the way, we set things up here, uh, you know, so that we can maintain social distancing. Mm -hmm. um, it really gets, it hurts to wear masks all day long. Mm -hmm. um, it just, it, it, your face, literally, your face and your ears just get sore after wearing, you know, wearing these all day. Mm -hmm. um, and, you know, there's always a tension because, you know, every now and then, you know, you'll get a customer who will walk through and, you know, they're going to the restroom or something else and they don't wear their mask. And, and I mean, right now, by our, you know, by, 
the governor's ordered, you have to wear a mask if you're in indoors in a public place. Mm -hmm. um, and we tell people that, and yet they still, you know, don't think yep. about it, I guess. But um, having said all that, we've had a good year. Um, our sales are up. I mean, I've talked with, we, I mean, we've talked with a, a, enough other winery owners mm -hmm. that they're experiencing the same thing. Everyone's sales seem to be up. Mm -hmm. um, and I, of course, I, I, I always tell people that, well, I'm, what we're learning is that the more time people spend with their spouses and, and or their children, the more wine they, they're drinking. So. Absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, kind of. But, but, but I guess part of the thing is that, that we, were, we were not prepared for it, but maybe in a position that we could deal with it better than some other wineries, because mm -hmm. although we had a very steady business, and as John said, was growing here, I think we learned sort of customer service and how to get a loyal customer base literally from the basement. Right? We had those people that would join our wine club and that had been loyal followers for nine years, coming into the basement, sitting outside on the crush pad, and we really just focused very heavily on creating relationships with those folks. Mm -hmm through that experience. We, we've always done seated tastings. We've never done tastings at the bar. Um, so we've always had more of a, I think more of a contact with our, with our customers through our tasting room um, than a lot of other wineries. And then on top of that, we had developed distribution channels in places um, already. We're not in every state by any means, but we've got, what, probably a dozen states and probably half a dozen of which were very active. Washington, D.C. is our, really our biggest market and has been for a long time. We're, very active in Florida. We recently had started in New Jersey and Pennsylvania. So, you know, with those relate and New York. So, with those relationships, we were able to both, you know, sell through our distributors, um, fortunately, who still remain busy, um, and then the, the, the selling that, that we've done here, mm -hmm. and plus our wine club, which mm -hmm. we've also worked on expanding over the years. But it's, you're right, it's really hard. Yeah. It's, and it's not intuitive. Yeah. <laughs> and being a lawyer doesn't prepare you for it. <laughs> um, it's, it's, the thing that I really like, I, and that tells me that we're doing something right, is that um, I mean, the industry average for wine club membership is about 18 months. And our, our average is probably six to seven years. Wow. Um, we've got, we have a large number of wine club members who have been with us for nine years, ever since we had a wine club. Mm -hmm. So that tells me that, that the way we interact with people, the way we deal with people's, I mean, urban people, I, we're doing something right. Mm -hmm. See, you, you obviously mentioned uh, COVID, we're in the, we're in the mm -hmm. middle, of, in middle of the pandemic now, sort of slowly yep. reopening and dealing with all that comes with that. You've talked a bit about already about how things have changed for the business. Mm -hmm. I'm, I'm curious now, as you look to the future for yourself and for your business, how, what are you looking at for the next five, 10 years? And has that changed because of uh, the pandemic? I don't think it's changed. I, I do think that, that at this point, all we can do is to take, is to take educated guesses. I, I think it, it, it's extremely hard to plan the next five years because, I mean, go back five months. Could you have dreamt five <laughs> months ago where we are today? Yeah. Um, so where are we going to be in five months from, from today? I don't know. Um, it's, it's, it's scary. It, it, you know, part of it is how long are people going to continue to behave 
you know, we all know wear a mask, stay six feet apart, and you've cut your transmission rate by 50%. Mm -hmm. And yet you look on television at large gatherings and, you know, crowded indoor places and no one's wearing masks and everyone's sitting, people sitting side by side mm -hmm. and, you know, watch this and just, just shake your head. Because mm -hmm. um, I know bad things are going to happen to them just because of the exposure. But how is it going to affect everybody else? Mm -hmm. And so, obviously, we, we, you know, we can talk about projections and we can talk about um, distribution lines and visitors and, and everything. And I think the fact is no one really knows because this is truly completely uncharted territory. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And so the best we can do is guess. Mm -hmm. And so... I mean, one of the things that we know that we're not going to get this year, we're not going to get national tourism. We're just, I mean, we may get more people coming from Washington and California mm -hmm. because people are staying in their cars. Mm -hmm. They're not getting on airplanes. They're not taking multi-day trips because no one wants to stop at a hotel. Um, so, you know, that's what we're seeing right now. Mm -hmm. We're seeing a, a greater influx of, of local, even sale traffic has picked mm -hmm. up. Mm -hmm. um, and again, it's because I think people are, people are scared to get out on the road. I mean, you know, we've got restaurants open in Salem and Mac, you know, our, our restaurants are open again. And we used to go out two, three times a week. And we've been out twice. Twice. <laughs> in the last four and, months. And part of it is, yeah. Is it is it worth it? Is it you know we want to do everything we can to support our our local restaurants and um, and and wineries and uh, but you know part of it is wow I mean what's the risk? Yeah, yep. And especially when you're in a a small business like this, if we go down with 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 this disease with this virus, um, we have to close we have to close up. And so we really have to, that's, that's why we really have to take this, this seriously. Yeah. But I'm not, I'm not sure how it affects our 10-year plans. Probably not very much. Five-year maybe, just because I think, you know, we're we, we were going like this, and hopefully we'll stay like this, mm -hmm. and hopefully we go back on. I, I think for sure we'll lose a year in our plans. Mm -hmm. um, but I, I think, you know, even if this is a two-year thing, we'll be able to recover. Mm -hmm. and in 10 years be where we wanted to be, which is I, we're still having an internal debate about that, let's just say. Some of us want to get really big. Some of us don't want to get quite so big. <laughs> so, so right now we're at about, um, when it's, uh, what, this year, 7,000? Is that we'll what we're going to we'll do this be, year? We'll be between six to 7,000 cases this year. Okay. We, on our first year, we did 300 cases. Yeah. And, so. and the winery is big enough that if we wanted to, we could do 20 and probably could pack in 22 if we wanted to really push it. Um, the question is where between 7 and 22 do we want to end up? Mm -hmm. And there are some of us that think 12 to 15 sounds really good. Um, I can buy that. And <laughs> so I'm guessing that's where we'll be. I think we'll be there within five years, I think. Yeah, yeah um, I think we'll be be Between the new grapes we've planted, mm -hmm. and then um, we've got uh, some other sources so that we'll yeah. supplement with, with other grapes, and, which yeah, we've we'll, done in the past. We'll, anyway. do, we'll do six to 7,000 cases just from estate grapes. So mm -hmm. we'll, have, we'll have about 7,000 cases of estate wine. Mm -hmm. um, but one of our bigger, two of our bigger sellers right now are the Willamette Valley blend. And so we'll, mm -hmm. we'll, we'll go buy grapes 
still from this area. The mm -hmm. one thing that we, we really want is our wines, even the, the blends like that, we still want them to be reflective of, the, of this area. Mm -hmm. um, so um, I think that, you know, that, that will allow us to maintain our style and still get up to, if we wanted to do 12 to 15,000 cases, we'd still be able to have a, a style that would mm -hmm. be recognizable to this area. Mm -hmm. yeah. mm -hmm. You talk about educated guesses. I'm, I'm just mm -hmm. curious, since you're so in tuned with the, the ever-changing business, um, as you look ahead, are there things you want to change about your business or things that you are changing now that you're going to keep in the, in the future? Mm -hmm. Well, we're staffing up, um, which is good, and I think we'll keep that. I mean, it's, it's a cost, um, but at the same time, because of the way we have to do things now, it one person ha basically can do one or two less tables than they used to. Yeah. Every, we, everything we do here is table seat. Mm -hmm. uh, uh, so we don't have a, we don't do tastes at the bar. Mm -hmm. uh, right now you're not allowed to, but we didn't do it anyway. So mm -hmm. actually that, we're, we're actually from a physical plant standpoint, we're set up really well mm -hmm. for this, for this pandemic. Mm -hmm. uh, we can put, we can put 80 people comfortably it at tables in chairs at any time at any one time and doing that in a way where we do it keeping groups under eight uh or ten i think we can go up to now mm -hmm. um and keeping everybody not only are the tables six feet apart but we've all, also got all of the pathways for people to walk mm -hmm. and those are six feet apart mm -hmm. from where people are mm -hmm. sitting so um our son dave spent hours pacing and, and measuring and, mm -hmm. and doing all that. And like I was saying earlier, when, when a, a table decided the sun was too bright and started to move a, a, a table under into shade, we all were, no, 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 you can't do that. Mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah. so, so. so, I mean, we're, we're set up well uh, physically for, for the pandemic. Okay. Uh, but again, it's, you know, we're talking to people through these and mm -hmm. You just you lose you lose something, mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. and I, I want to get that back. Yep, but um, part of what we're doing, and this was our plan before, and we'll have to change the timing a bit. But uh, we do have a commercial kitchen. That's one of the things that we put in. So we are going to we have a plan at some point to have more of a food program. We've always um, served cheese, local cheeses, initially local cheeses and cheeses and and crackers um, with our with our wines. Um, but we want to do something a little more mm -hmm. uh, elevated, and so we we just started a charcuterie program before the pandemic hit. So we'll we'll pick that back up. That's probably the first thing. Mm -hmm. But then we are talking about uh, doing something, you know, more food available with regular tastings, and also doing some more paired tastings. Mm -hmm. um, one of the things that we built um, up here, we've got a, a room that we turned into a private tasting room where we can sit eight people up there. So once we get that done, do more of the sort of specialized tastings, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. maybe do some more vineyard tours as part of the tastings. Mm -hmm. um, but just, you know, different ways to engage people mm -hmm. in the tasting environment. So that's, you know, those, those are things that are in the plans. I think another thing that's, that we're, we're working on actively is working on expanding our distribution. Mm -hmm. um, and we've actually recently um, brought a, a consultant in to help us with that, that we started working with a couple of months ago. Mm -hmm. um, and that's the first time we've really 
you know, used significant outside help. But we got to the point where, to your point, it's really hard to do. And there's people who have connections that we don't have. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, and, you know, really trying to figure out the best fit for our brand in the right market with the right distribution channels. We've, we've been in a number of states and been with a number of distributors that, and I'm sure you've heard this story so many times, you find them, they're really excited. They sound like they're going to be great. They buy a bunch of wine and you fall off a cliff mm -hmm. and you can't <laughs> even get them to answer your calls. And mm -hmm. we've been in a number of states like that yeah. with a number of distributors like that. So we just decided it, we were at the point in, the, in just our, our growth and where we want to be, mm -hmm. you know, five years, 10 years, that bringing in a little bit of outside help made sense. Mm -hmm. So mm -hmm. we, we're in the middle, probably the early stages of that process yeah. right now. Yeah, we are. Um, but that seemed like something that would help us significantly. So that's, so that, I think that's for our long-term distribution. And then the other thing we sort of had planned on that we really haven't gotten off the ground is, is events. And um, as you can see, we've got the space and we built it thinking we were going to do them, you know, and then the pandemic hit. We've already had to um, cancel, cancel slash reschedule a couple of weddings that we had, had scheduled for the summer. Although we, we've given refunds. Yes, we have. <laughs> and we'll continue to. In fact, some of those people have come and talked to us now. <laughs> um, but but that's the, so that's the other thing, too. Um, we, we actually did something last summer, which was fabulous. We called it Taco Tuesdays and we had two taco trucks nice. and people came in and we just we had you know a wine that was on sale and we sell by the glass and by the bottle and was just jam. It, was it was jam yeah it, it was, was great fun it was just people we, we had music we had local musicians time. come nice so things like that we'd really love to do more of once we can sure but we're not even going to try until until everybody's healthy and and there's sure. it's not dangerous to do that yeah um, I'm curious with your customers, uh, if you've noticed a change in what people uh, are looking for in a wine experience since, you've start, since you started, are they looking for different things? Are they asking different questions? Are they interested in, in different parts of the winemaking process? H have your customers mm -hmm. evolved or are they kind of like they were when you started? Mm -hmm. They're kind of like they were when we started. Um, I think it's because we started in the basement and in a very unattractive <laughs> spot. So people who came to see us before were really interested in wine. We, they didn't come for the ambiance or the experience. It took, it, right? took us, it, took us, it took us, I think, two years to get actually get a porta potty. It was outside, and so that was our restroom facility. Um, and I mean, before that, literally, I mean, there was a sign the previous owner had, which was, you know, the bush, you know, an arrow, you know, behind the bushes. Um, mm -hmm. It is classy. It yeah. Was, <laughs> it, was, it was rustic, to say the least. Um, but we got a lot of serious wine people, wine drinkers, <laughs> that way. Um, well, part of the reason that, that, that they, that, and that we developed a good relationship is with, with a lot of people is that we talk a lot of, uh, and this is, Dave is really big on this too. Uh, he, it's an educational experience. Mm -hmm. So why does that wine taste different than this one? Mm -hmm. um, you know, and people, when people ask questions about, well, is it the soil? What kind of soil? We're there with, we have the answers. Mm -hmm. We've got, um, um, we're big on information. Um, and so I do, I think I see a little, uh, there's been an increase there, but you know, we're, we definitely had this bohemian in image where, you know, it's, oh yeah, you're the guys in the basement. Yeah, that's us. Uh, <laughs> yeah, whether you want that reputation or not, at least mm -hmm. people know about you at that point. Um, 
So um, to keep showing up, that must mean something's going. Something, yeah. Something's going right. Yep. Well, something's going right. And something's certainly gone right this year too, because I mean, we've noticed that our our sales per customer have increased this year. Mm -hmm. uh, so whereas you know people last year would walk out with a bottle, maybe two people this year are walking out with three to six bottles. Mm -hmm. So. Um, I, I, and I think part of that is they're, they're, they're anticipating they're going to be staying home for the next two weeks, and so mm -hmm. they, they want to be supplied. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So we'll see, we'll see how that changes once we're through this. Mm -hmm. um, it'll be interesting to see how it changes or if it changes. Mm -hmm. uh, but again, who knows? Mm -hmm. Well, the other big difference is before we were walking and you know you'd just get groups who would come and they'd sit and they'd spend three or four hours and they might buy wine they might not buy wine um, we like everybody around us has gone to appointment because that's really the only way we can manage the space that we need to manage right now mm -hmm. um, and we've had a lot of internal debates about whether to do that and how to do it and should we do it you know mandatory or recommended and, and we've just decided that right now it's the right way to go all of our neighbors are doing it too um, I think that's one of the big questions: is will we keep that model long term, mm -hmm. or will we go back to a you know just everybody walk in or mm -hmm. some combination of the two? Yeah. Um, because people do with the reservation system, people do the people we get here seem to be a little bit more serious about the wine. Mm -hmm. It's, it's mm -hmm. less hey, let's find a venue for a party, mm -hmm. uh, and more of a this is you know let's go wine tasting. Mm -hmm. Sure. Um, Tell me about what you've seen uh, change in Oregon wine since you've become a part of the industry, what the biggest changes have been, and, and, and what you foresee the future of the Oregon wine industry looking like as you look ahead. Growth, I mean, there are obviously, I don't even know what the number is now on the number of wineries. 800-ish? 800-ish. Mm -hmm. so it's, it's probably double since, since we've been since here. We've been uh -huh. here. Um, that in itself is just, you know, that's incredible. Um, I like, I think the other, I, I do like the fact that we are really trying to differentiate our product with California, mm -hmm. or from mm -hmm. California. Mm -hmm. um, that, I mean, I, I love uh, Davison's in, in McMinnville, the bumper sticker they've got up on the wall behind the, the checkout desk, which is um, Napa makes auto parts, Oregon makes wine. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I just think that's a great bumper sticker. <laughs> um, but I think, but I think it's it's emblematic of the pride that we have in what we're producing in Oregon. Mm -hmm. um, it, it is it is a it's a different thing. Um, what the one thing that I have uh, that I have noticed, and I think others have too, um, that. The landscape is changing physically due to global warming. Mm -hmm. um, this year being the exception so far, uh, it's been a very mm -hmm. cool, rainy June. This week is supposed to be just gorgeous. I don't think we're going to see 80 for oh, another week and a half at mm -hmm. least. Mm -hmm. uh, but again, that's that's what makes Oregon so perfect for Pinot. I mean, mm -hmm. that's that's exactly the temperature range you're looking for. Um, but it's. It's been different because I mean, I mean, over the last ten years, we've had I don't know how many of them have set records for number of heat days over mm -hmm. ninety, average days over ninety. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's, um, um, you know, a lot of good information. Greg being one of the, you know one of the best. Mm -hmm. I mean, I, and anytime he speaks somewhere, I I go listen to him. Mm -hmm. 
Um, and uh, he did leave a screen here, by the way, <laughs> about two years ago. <laughs> if he's ever looking for his, his uh, chart screen, I, I've got it. Uh, but uh, this is Greg Jones. Yeah, I know. Uh, okay. <laughs> I was there, too. Oh, that's great. <laughs> um, so, you know, one of the things that he, that, that he had said some time ago was he, he, one of his predictions was that by 2050, this would be prime Cabernet country, uh, and Pinot will have moved up to Vancouver Island. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, kind of distressing to hear that, um, because it, kind of, it tells you how much things, at least, I mean, you know, in his expert opinion, mm -hmm. uh, how much he thinks things are gonna change. Yeah. Um, that, if, if it happens, and I'm, I'm not convinced, yeah, I mean, I know things are changing. Uh, the, I mean, the empirical evidence is everywhere. Um, but I, I think that, you know, it, it affects not just the varietal that is being produced, but suddenly we're talking about quantities. I mean, whereas with Pinot, you want two, two to three tons per acre. Cabernet, you can do five to seven tons per acre. And suddenly there could just be this huge glut of these new wines that, that Mm -hmm. You know, 25 years ago, you wouldn't be able to grow here. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, we're already seeing in, in Eastern Oregon, Southern Oregon, uh, Rhone varietals and, and, and Bordeaux's and Italians. And um, it, it'll be interesting to see what happens just in this particular area because, again, we've got this big gap that goes straight to the ocean. Mm -hmm. And those winds aren't gonna stop. I mean, they may be a little mm -hmm. warmer than they are now, but they're still gonna be there. Mm -hmm. And so it really does put this area in a very unique position, I think, um, because as the environment heats up and you create more thermal lows inland, it's just gonna work all that. It's gonna make this this corridor even windier and cloudier. So I don't know, it, it, could, it could actually, we could get cooler right here, whereas in the rest of the state, mm -hmm. you're getting warmer. So, or, or stay where we are, even if everybody else gets warmer. Right, so yeah, exactly. Being as high as we are, our combination of the elevation and the winds, you know, we're hopeful that maybe we would be less impacted than, mm -hmm. than other places, but sure. who knows. Educated guesses. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Sure, absolutely. Well, all the questions that I have for you to today. Mm -hmm. Is there anything well, I didn't ask that I should have asked? Anything we didn't cover today that we should have covered? I don't think so. No. Can you think of anything? No. Excellent. Great. Well, thank you both so much yeah. for your time today, thank for your you. stories, for sharing all your Great. thoughts, and we'll go ahead and let you off the hook. Great. Sounds good. All thank right. you. Thank you. Thank you for joining us for this edition of the Oregon Wine History Archive podcast. And thank you to all the supporters, partners, donors, and interviewees who have made our project a success. Be sure to check out our website at OregonWineHistoryArchive.org for more interviews, plus photographs, wine labels, and more. And stay tuned for more interviews as we tell the story of Oregon wine. The Oregon Wine History Archive podcast is brought to you by the Oregon Wine History Archive at Linfield College. The executive producer is Kiana Anderson. Producers are Rich Schmidt, Rachel Woody, Stephanie Hoffman, and Camille Weber. And a special thanks to all the Linfield Archive students who have contributed to these oral history interviews over the years.